Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We certainly do. Welcome to episode 234 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I'm the Sarah in that equation, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with the killer Mark Blankenship. Hi, Mark. Hey, killing y'all with my dope rhymes, but never committing any real crimes. I. It, it is ironic that I, a true crime expert, I guess, sort of backed into that moniker, uh, did not bring our band to the table today. Mark did. Mark, tell us what we're listening to and why. Okay, so I have selected for today's episode two songs that were released last year by The Killers. They are the songs uh, Lightning Fields featuring Katie Lang and My God featuring an indie woman who goes by the name Wise Blood but spells it W-E-Y-E-S. I mean... I have no comment. (laughs) I, I, yeah... My my comment is also no comment. <laughs> um, I have enjoyed the Killers' music since their debut album "Hot Fuss" came out in two thousand and four, delivering the now classic anthem "Mr. Brightside," as well as some other great songs like "Somebody Told Me." All these things that I've done, really, that whole album is fantastic. I also know that my former roommate and all of our friend Joe Reed is a big Killers fan. And I had lost touch with the band after their album Day and Age, which featured the single Human. And then last year, there was a song called Caution that became a big hit on alternative radio. And I thought, well, shit, this is a fantastic song. So I ended up listening to the entire Imploding the Mirage album, which again came out last year. And not only did it become one of my favorite albums uh, in recent memory, those two songs that we're going to talk about today became two of my three favorite songs of 2020. And Sarah, the third of my three favorite songs from 2020 is Dua Lipa's Levitating. <laughs> so we've really covered my my award table at this time. Excellent. The podium. So what I'd like to do, Sarah, is give a quick intro to the song Lightning Fields, then play the clip, and then we can dig into its depth. If that's all right. Uh, yes, it is fine. <laughs> you're, you're like, Mark... Yes. <laughs> like, why, why would no, we follow the same? Uh, why would we follow the same outlines of an episode that we've done two hundred and thirty-three times before? <laughs> <laughs> so, Lightning Fields is a song that is written from the perspective of a man who has recently lost his wife. Brandon Flowers, the lead singer and head songwriter of The Killers, wrote this song because of his mother's recent death, and he wrote it from the perspective of his father. But it really works outside of that context. What happens in Lightning Fields is the father has this dream where he sees his late wife in a lightning field and then starts talking to her about all of the things that he wishes he could do with her again and then starts to succumb to the doubt that he didn't treat her or their family the way that they sh- he should have. And, and in the bridge of the song, which you will hear, Katie Lang, in the voice of the mother, arrives to respond to his anxiety. So that's the big setup for what we're about to hear. Here is the clip from Lightning Fields. Think about things left unsaid and all the things that I do different if I just had the chance. 
Don't beat yourself up, you laid good ground. Look at him walk from scratch to sundown. You put the work in and then some. Where is all this coming from? There's no end to love. There's no end to truth. There's no end to me. There's no end to you. I just wanted to run. Stand beside you in the lightning field of love Press your face to mine, name and raise again Take the car out for a drive And so what we hear in that clip are a couple of things, Sarah, that speak to me, move me so much that I have tears in my eyes right now. I don't think I've ever heard this song without getting emotional. Um, the fact that he has the grace as a songwriter to have the voice of the mother come in and offer peace to this grieving person is incredibly moving to me. And Katie Lang's voice is just such a perfect vessel for mm. slightly sarcastic grace which she's like where is all this coming from you just she has that supple quality that to me just really sells the emotion and there's a familiarity to the way she's speaking to him that i find really striking and authentic and then in the next moment when the chorus returns the narrator of the song doesn't have he's not using full phrases to talk about the things that he misses or wants he instead of saying i want to name and raise our children again he just says name and raise again, give my name again, speak your name again. It's just these half phrases that perfectly capture the inchoate wash of emotions we feel when we're dealing with loss and grief and the flickering images of our past that we wish we could get back. And then the fact that in buried in the mix at the end of that particular chorus, the guy screams out, take me with you to the other side. He's not leaving this mortal plane yet, but he's so desperate to be with her again that he would go right now. And all of that narrative sophistication, that emotional power combined with the booming, dramatic musical underbelly, uh, uh, musical bed of the song, which, you know, I'm always a sucker for, to me makes this mark nip, Sarah. It's just <laughs> it's exactly the type of uh piercing of the veil between the, the the real and the spiritual and the offering of grace in the guise of a pop song that I love so much. That's why I can't stop listening to this song. Um, I did have the word blank and nip in my notes. Yep. Um, I'm glad that you picked this part because until she comes in, this song is not, does not work on me the same way. Um, I, I see what it's trying to do, and I see why it does what it does for you. But the difference in um, effectuality, I guess, between when Brandon Flowers is, so to say, in charge of the narrative mm -hmm. versus when Katie Lang is in charge of it, it's a completely different feeling that everything that you've just talked about, about dealing with grief, about these sort of um, flickering scrapbook uh, 
um, d- desires that are almost beyond words for when you've lost a partner. Like, in theory, this song is, like, really great and well-built. And in practice, when Katie Lang is not present, it just feels like it was assembled from a recipe of aural um, alternative tropes by a guy who is a humorless dick about his bicycle. And (laughs) I think that's just a – I think that's just Brandon Flowers' – literal voice and that I just don't respond to him and them. And I'm not saying that bombast never works on me because if you've ever listened to this podcast before, you know, it does. And simple, direct emotion, like, you know, we've talked about um, Ben Folds before and Jason Isbell and both begun weeping on the mic. So I'm, I'm here for that. But with this with this particular song, it's like I could listen to Katie Lang's part all day and then the rest of it, it just doesn't it's not for me. Mm. And that's really that was really fascinating. Like I went back and listened to it like a third and fourth time and was like what what is it that absolutely like locks in like a tractor beam when she's singing and feels like a project when he's singing. And Mm. I think it's just her, right? Like I I think she's just more my thing as a storyteller and her voice is so like the plangency of it is perfectly suited to this. And I will say that I, absolutely respect the killers for seeing that this is who they needed for the song. Right. And I respect Katie Lang's, you know, like judgment in being like, you're right. I am the perfect thing for this song and (laughs) like doing the thing. But yeah, like I, I got to the end of my notes and I was like, I, I don't feel like Mark picked these songs because he doesn't like them. And I think we might have a little problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a what a fascinating um, thing to contemplate for someone who was kind of like arms crossed about the song until Katie Lang's like, I got this. Like, it, it's just a fascinating prospect from a like build and structure and songwriting uh, standpoint to be receiving this and being like, it were it doesn't work until it does, until it doesn't. It, it's right. just interesting. I mean, I, you know, that's what we do here is think about this, think about this stuff. So, well, and hearing you say these things is also making me reflect on my own tastes, frankly, which I guess is one of the long projects of this show of life. <laughs> <laughs> um. I am thinking about the fact that I consistently bring songs into this show, especially when I'm in the mood to pick like songs that aren't very well known, but that I just happen to love. Mm-hmm. I almost always choose songs that are about death in some way, <laughs> like not always, but I, I just really find myself. If I feel like I encounter a song that strikingly evokes the quiet, yet intense power of grief, I fall for it every single fucking time. 
Well, and I, I think yeah. that that speaks to, well, I mean, not to tell you how you feel, but I mean, <laughs> we are pod married. Maybe I, maybe I have the right to do that. But I, what struck me about this as Mark Nip was that it's about, um, it's about the endurance of love. It's about yes. that part of the grief um, that I was like, oh, of course, because you know, it's the same thing as, uh, it's the same thing as that Isbell song where we just like took hands and we're like, (laughs) and it's also what happens in the Taylor Swift Dixie uh, chicks song that we talked about soon. Mm -hmm. You'll get better. Yeah. And that was another one where I was like, yeah, I I mean, I, I, I hear you and yet no, but then I I talked myself into that one that that uh, will not be happening with this particular song. But like I said, um, when Katie Lang comes in and it's just like it, it's all right. Like I'm I'm still here to an extent, and you need to chill. Uh, like it it works, and from a songwriting standpoint, I really can't argue with the effect of that like in terms of the contrast but yeah it is interesting that we come back to these um we come back i think pretty often like when we were off um recently the flashback episode was that ben fold song and i feel like we on this podcast often return you saw it in the Simon and Garfunkel episodes, I think, oh, as well. God. Speaking of weeping on camera. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> on, on, well, on hi. The, the only weeping girl in New York. Um, but that we return to this concept of um, big love and what happens on the other side of yes. the veil. And um, so I, I think that actually we sort of feel the same we feel the same way about songs of this type but then on the particular sometimes we differ and then when we're talking about like phoebe bridgers who my god she she should really be paying for advertising on this podcast but it's it's this it's the more quiet like um humid exhausted aspect of the grief that i'm sort of like oh yes i i see this a little more right so it's interesting but this is also making me think about why pop music is worth all of the time that we give it both as individuals and as a larger culture because yes sometimes pop music does the incredible service of giving us mindless escapism in the form of dope beats great (laughs) but sometimes pop songs can deliver these nuggets of wisdom about things that echo out beyond our bodies that they can, they can help us see the way that love endures. They can help us find metaphorical language to comprehend what we know innately to be true about what love is and what it does. And the occasion of listening to a song like that, I feel expands me as a person. And I know that that sounds rather lofty, but I honestly feel like for me and my particular tastes, the listening to the song lightning fields actually expands my emotional life. It deepens me in a way because just the fact that someone had the notion of writing this type of song about his parents 
and the amount of narrative complexity that he is able to get into the way he defines them both is astonishing to me. It, it quiets me in a way that I appreciate. And I totally hear that this is not your particular tea, but I also agree with you that we both are looking for that type of literary experience in pop music. And I think that speaks to both of our backgrounds. Uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast for more than 15 seconds has heard us talk about Wordsworth and or dramaturgy. I but, have some Wordsworth notes so for, thank God. for this episode. It's It's been a minute, y'all. <laughs> and also Since clearly you, all I'm doing right now is stamped. talking about- Yeah, totally. And all I'm doing is talking about the dramaturgy of these songs. I mean, I'm talking about these songs as plays with characters because they are. And uh, the casting of the female lead in Lightning Fields is something that we both agree with. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to make, bring up before we move on to the next song is I've been thinking a lot about why I'm drawn to these types of narratives. I just finished a novel called The Great Believers by a writer named Rebecca Mackay. M-A-K-K-A-I. It was released a couple of years ago. It was a short lister for the Pulitzer Prize, and it's about a group of people in the early 80s in Chicago who are in the midst of the AIDS epidemic, and then what happens 30 years later among the survivors. And I found it very moving. And Sarah, I was reflecting on the fact that I am a gay man in my 40s who works in the theater, and yet the only people who have ever died in my life that I loved are my grandparents. Like mm-hmm. I have somehow made it to my forties without losing any friends, any love, any loved ones other than my grandparents. And I think one of the reasons I feel so emotional about stories like that, that are told in that novel and stories that are told in these types of songs is that I am aware how lucky I am that I get to be who I am and have managed to somehow skirt the inevitable moment when I lose someone very close to me. And I, I think there's something about the the tension of I know that the older I get, the more inevitable that moment becomes. And there's something about these artworks that I feel like is helping me prepare, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, one of the things that I do respond to in uh, Phoebe Bridgers is that sense. Um, is it the end of Longtime Companion where... Like, uh, there are like these time jumps and then there are fewer and fewer people on the beach, but then at the end there, they all are. Yes. Um, That's yes. And all of the, for lack of a better term, ghosts of the people who are lost are running on the beach looking beautiful and healthy. Yeah. Um, there's something about that, that, um, they, it's an old enough property that, uh, a lot of it was not particularly subtle. (laughs) Um, film, but they're like even talking about that ending and just like the washed out bright light that sort of speaks to that light that you're supposed to see at the end of your life. Um, just talking about that makes me emotional. And I mean, we can get into it more after we hear the clip from my God, I guess, but like the, for whatever reason, I had just listened to The Show Must Go On by Queen. Mm. And that vocal and knowing the story of that vocal that Freddie was like with one sparkly shoe in the grave, really. And Brian May was like, I just don't like I'm not sure that you have like the physical strength 
mm-hmm. to do this vocal. And Freddie was literally like, hold my shot of vodka, like threw back some Stoli and was like, fuck you. I'm still Freddie Mercury. But every time I hear that vocal, um, it just picks up all the hairs on my arms because I feel like it invokes all those ghosts of those particular people who we lost right to that epidemic and all of the like all of the sort of empty spaces left by covid and it it really there's something about freddie just going out in this vocal blaze that that's where the wordsworth comparison or reference comes in for me with the killers because when wordsworth is talking about great emotion reflected in tranquility or recollected in tranquility excuse me I think the killer's proportions of great emotion and tranquility are a little off for me, Mm, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. And totally, I found that particularly true of the, of my God, because it was like, I, you know, that's fine for poetry and text, but this is rock and roll and, too much tranquility starts to read not as insincere but as like remote and distanced from the emotion and there's something about the subject matter and that approach to distilling the emotion with the killers that doesn't always hit it on the screws for me so oh that's so interesting because to me oh that's so interesting we have completely different interpretations of what's happening in the song my god but i think this is a good time to introduce it and play a clip. Yeah. So in My God is, I think, a very interesting companion piece to the song Lightning Fields. My God is inspired by Brandon Flowers' own relationship with his wife. Uh, I don't purport to really understand all of the details. I don't think he's really shared them. But his wife overcame something serious that had been really, really weighing her down. And this song is about both his and her relief when she started to have a breakthrough. And it's a really interesting parallel because this is another song about a marriage. This is another song where the voice of the wife comes in. But this is written from the perspective of the immediate relief that comes when the sunlight breaks through the dirty window, to paraphrase our poet laureate, Natasha Bedingfield. So (laughs) this is the moment in My God where wise blood comes in kind of similarly structurally to when Katie Lang comes in. Here we go.
It's so interesting to hear you say that for you, Sarah, which totally fine. Obviously, this is a song where the tranquility of the performance seems to negate the supposed enormity of the motion of the emotion. Right. If I'm understanding well, and it's you correctly. like it's not a tranquil performance, particularly. It's more that this feels built um, to be an anthem from academic instructions. Oh, interesting. Like, the, you know, you listen to that and it's not tranquil. Um, there are a lot of like 80s sort of like yazzy reference in there. Um, <laughs> yazzy. That's the name of our new band. Mark yeah, and Sarah yazzy and referent. the Yazzy Reference. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I understand the appeal of this like topically and, you know, listening to you talk about it, I find it a little bit more appealing, but there is something, there is a way in which I'm being held at arm's length. And also like the Flannery O'Connor reference is just like getting in my fucking way. And I'm oh, the name of the, yes. the name of the woman, <laughs> because this is like Flannery O'Connor was a writer who was like, so um, like Navy blue cynical about everything. Um, but also extremely devout. So th that's just like, like just step back, step back with that reference please, Mr. Flowers, if you don't mind. But yeah, there's just something. And here again, it's a little bit more successful. And like, I don't want to say that this is insincere songwriting because it, it isn't. But it's, it just seems very designed. And the fact that that is true, I think, but also about something that is clearly extremely personal um, is an approach. And I think it can work and it has worked for me also. And it's fascinating to contemplate. But as an anthem, it just feels a little like, you know, behold this anthem of my construction versus going back to Freddie Mercury, where it was like, all right, we built this thing and now we're just going to put a dying man at the controls and he's going to steer this song to the fucking sun. And he did. And it's unfair to compare them. And it's just a bad coincidence, I guess, that I ended up comparing them. But that Wordsworth, um, that Wordsworth, uh, not, not problem, but that was just like that had been rattling around in my head from listening to lightning fields so that I was like, why, like, why is there a little too much of the recollecting and not quite enough of the great emotion? And is there a fear there? And is this like the more, uh, the stricter forms of poetry that tightly control the emotion with the structure, like a Sestina, like a villanelle, um, this is all so fascinating because I actually have the entirely opposite feeling about the song. To me, the song feels like a wild release. And I would never personally describe this song as being overly structured. That's so interesting. I just, to me, I think it's the, very like performatively anthemic. I'm not saying it's insincere. I'm saying read some Elizabeth Bishop and... I, th I think certain things about the control of Bishop's poetry will like 
ping off of this song, which is a compliment in its way. But here again, like there's poetry and there's there's pop and this just gets a little too academic and removed in the build for me. God, I, so like, fast. I love, I love how I truly love how we're having such divergent experiences because obviously the Sestina is, which you were just uh, referencing is one of the most yeah, controlled. <laughs> it's like one of the most artificial intellectual exercise styles of poetry that oh. has ever existed. <laughs> yeah. And to me, I mean, obviously this song is very tightly structured and like, of course, so is the show must go on. I understand that it's also about the subjective experience of the artist inside of the structure. Yeah, sure. But I have, my response to this song is one of the such intense relief and I hear a wildness in it and it makes me feel a certain amount of wildness. And I think that the wise blood, again, the name of the woman who is singing there there's something haunting and uh, ethereal about her voice that to me, it just, it makes me think about this thing that you're finally letting out this. And I, I think just the repetition of the phrase, my God, over and over and over again, that is very tightly structured. Um, but then I feel like it is the type of rhythmic repetition that comes because your mind has been obliterated and all you have is the relief and you don't actually have any words anymore. This is a sidebar, but one time Andrew and I, when we were in China in what was the worst vacation I've ever taken in my life, (laughs) were being driven in a cab back from the Great Wall of China and the cab ended up having to go off the freeway and we went through this road that was more pothole than road and we were dodging animals and I swear (laughs) I didn't think that I was going to live to see the end of the day. And also the driver was only playing really, really loud punk music on cassette. So when we finally got back to our hotel room where I honestly thought I would never be again, all I could do was lay on the bed and just go, shit, bitch, shit, shit, bitch. And so that has become for Andrew and I this this thing. If if it's if something is a quote full shit bitch, it's a moment where you're just relieved to have made it at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> so for me. I hear the way that Brandon Flowers says my God in this song as being akin to a full shit bitch, <laughs> which is or, not as sophisticated a reference as the references that you were just making. <laughs> well, but I think you could also see it as, uh, I think it's possible for it to be both or uh, amongst all of these things. It can be A, the full shit bitch, B, um, a Sestina or... <clears throat> Let me just warm up so I don't pull something here. <laughs> what we might more properly understand in the Homeric tradition <laughs> as the call and response of the rosy-fingered dawn locutions at the beginning of chapters in the Odyssey. Um, Who fell asleep on the hook? Bunsy's talking about the classics again. Um, Ida Athena with her rosy-fingered dawn. Uh, Why the Odysseus? You uh, it's pronounced Aos. Whatever. So... <laughs> And also, like, rosy-fingered. Like, it's 8.30 in the morning. I go to a girl's school. Don't talk to me about fingers, please. It's too, it's too soon. Um, so there's you can ascribe that aspect to it, as it were. 
And then there's a um, gospel-esque or um, service-y call and response aspect to it. And I like Brandon Flowers is not a dumb guy. And I don't think he's a particularly like cynical, let's build this thing and call it the graduation song kind of guy. Like, you know, that he's like, let's join the pantheon, as it were of songs with God in the title and see how that goes. Like, I don't think that that's what's happening here. And I think it's entirely possible that all interpretations are correct from cracks knuckles, a deist perspective on songwriting. And the fact that sometimes the song has to be heard and interpreted a different way in order to be complete. Well, and Fair. Don't get up. I will fire myself. This is absolutely no. the most pretension I've ever fit into like 20 minutes of talking. Well, I, don't, I actually don't think it's pretentious at all. I think it's you finding a framework to talk about a song that is not reaching you on a visceral level. And right. for me, the song is such a visceral experience that the structure that you're describing is only supporting the... Right inchoate aspects of the material. And it's been making me think a lot about also how I am drawn to songs like If We Were Vampires, like The Luckiest, like both of these songs to me that are about a mature type of love. Mm -hmm. And I think that also is, it, it, it's the endurance of love, but it's also the love of adults who have been through some shit mm -hmm. that I really am drawn to. And this song being about, uh, marriage in which one spouse has finally been able to lay down a burden and the other spouse is relieved on her behalf. That really gets to me too. And all of the things that you're saying about it structurally are, I agree with you about that they are there, but they also lead me to having a richer visceral experience that I am. I, I just respect the fact that you're just never going to have that. Brandon flowers as a vocalist for one thing is never going to give that to you. Yeah. Um, Wise Blood with her sad ripoff of a Carson McCullers novel for a name is never going to get that to you. But, well, you know, but look. she she does like and I think that she has a um, she has a little scratch in her voice. It's funny that um, the vocal is like a little more uh, imperfect than Katie Lang's. But by being so, it serves the same purpose as Katie mm -hmm. Lang's in the other song. Um, and let us not. uh let us not discard the idea that to look at these songs for me and be like, to really like wade in <laughs> with no shoes on and be like that, like this is exegetically rewarding <laughs> for me. <laughs> That's the name of our band. Exegetically. Yazily Exeg <laughs> yes. and exegetically rewarding reference. So, yeah, I mean, prepping this episode was, it was like two songs that I'm like, mm, I'm all set. But, like, prepping it was, like, super fun because all these references and ideas about why pop is important and why we respond to it and the jobs that it does, like you were talking about before, was fucking cool. And I'm glad yeah. that I get to do that on a podcast with you. But... Like in my life, like I, you know, we, we did it right. We do this for it. We do this for our job. So hell yeah. And also I am absolutely enamored of these songs as literary objects that can merit dissection. Yeah. I, I am the same. Like, obviously 
my my background in I have a master's degree in dramatic structure for Christ's sake. Like all I want basically is to dissect structure. So that's why we work so well as a pod couple. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the many reasons. Um. Well, then let me say this to you. At, finally, um, a good man is hard to find, as Carson McCullers once told us. Mm-hmm. But a good podcast wife isn't, because I found you. Oh. You're my great emotion, recollected in tranquility and otherwise. Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at bleav.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah, with an H, talkaboutsongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.